In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel to receive the living, their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full, sense, full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So, so as not to win, having those, okay, verse 22. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Uh, before we have our prayer this morning, let's, I want us to remember a very special lady who's, who's in very trouble right now. She's uh, in the hospital. Uh, I've only known her for about 10 years, Bonnie Ellis. She's... Uh, She's having a tough time right now, so I wanted to pray that the Lord has her will in Bonnie's life because uh, she's a very nice lady, she's very sweet. I've only known her, like I said, 10 years, but she's, she's, I've grown through her, so let's, let's pray. Lord, as we come to you now, Father, that uh, we ask you to open our service with, although our hearts are heavy for Bonnie, that she has served you for so long, so well, that you have... You're the author. You can you can take her life now and, and do as you will. That you that you're the presence in her life, and that you, we may find comfort in this. We ask you to give Steve the message this morning that's on his heart, that he can bring forth the message that we may all find applies to us. We ask this in thy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I went and saw Bonnie on Thursday, and. Uh, those of you that know Bonnie well know she will always, to her last breath, be a nurse, which means she thinks about everything very clinically. And she said, um, you know, I want to die, but my girls won't let me. They say I still have bibs to make for the nursing home. And, uh, but uh, you know what? I reminded her, because I'm always, to my last breath, a pastor, and I said, we are all terminal. Sometimes we don't want to think about that, but we are all terminal. Some of us, it's just a little closer than it is for others. So you be, you know what, I want you to pray for Bonnie, of course, but I really want you to pray for those girls, uh, the family, that God will reach out and comfort them as well during the days ahead, whatever they may bring. Well, this is the last in a series of six messages that uh, we have called God Calling. I've just tried in these six Sundays to lay out a foundation of what does it really mean for God to call us. We've talked about everything from the fact that there is a primary call and a secondary call. We've talked about how calling gives us our identity. We've talked about how we um, can mix up and distort these two callings. If we elevate the 
the, the, the primary calling too high. We think only certain people can be called pastors, deacons, missionaries, etc. We call that the Catholic distortion that creates this duality where you have the spiritually elite and then everybody else. But the more modern, common day today is we take the sense of calling and its cognate, which is the word vocation. Those of you that grew up in the Catholic Church remember that vocation was normally what was reserved for the, 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 the church folks, they had a vocation, a special calling. But now vocation just means what you do from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. And we've totally absented it from anything spiritual. And that's what we call the Protestant distortion that lifts up the everyday job that we do as if it were equivalent with God's calling and reminding ourselves we have to keep those two things in balance. So this morning I want us to finish, and the message is titled, Do What You Are. Do what you are. And we're going to use this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as an illustration of that. I would have expected more chuckles from the picture. I've got to be honest with you. Um, somebody asked, was that you when you were a baby? I said, oh, I just wish so. Uh, but uh, do what you are. And um, because there's one more thing we have to deal with before we leave this topic. Because we'll be back in a year talking a whole lot more and even more in depth about the idea of calling. But I think this is enough for now. But we've got to determine, we've got to talk about this issue of giftedness, both spiritual, what we would often call maybe natural gifts, talents, abilities, how that ties in with calling. Okay, so I want us to look at that today, look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and then we'll be ready to lay this aside. Next Sunday, we begin talking, we have one Sunday to talk about one of the, actually the first of the nine marks of a healthy church. A few months ago, back in, in February, I kind of laid the groundwork of that. I shared with you that once a quarter, for the next two and a half years, Lord willing, once a quarter, we'll look at one of the nine marks. And the title next week, of the sermon next week is called, Whose Word Do You Want to Hear? And we're going to talk about the centrality of Scripture and the role that it plays in the life of a healthy church. So be ready for that. And then the following week, during the month of May, we begin a series called Life on Mission talking about what does it mean to live a radically intentional life focused on the mission of God. And then you see now why we had to talk about calling first and how your calling fits into that, both primary and secondary. All right? All right, so let's get started. Yehudi Menuhin was probably one of the leading violinists of the last century. He literally enthralled hundreds of thousands of people with his conducting, with his virtuosity at the violin. And like a lot of, of musicians, he was a prodigy. He started early in life. When he was a very young child, his parents would take him to the New York Philharmonic to listen to the orchestra pray, play and listen to Louis Persinger, the first violinist and concertmaster, as he played these beautiful pieces. And whenever he would play, little Yehudi would lean forward in his chair up there in the balcony, where his parents could afford the seats and, and listen in rapture. And so he was so caught by that that he asked his parents if he could have for his birthday a violin and lessons from none other than Lewis Persinger for his fourth birthday. One of the family members, thinking how cute that was, gave him a little toy violin. Some of you are old enough to remember the little, the little metal violins with the steel strings that you would get. They were just little toys. When he opened it up on his fourth birthday, he saw what it was. He threw it on the ground, pitched a fit, and said, I want a real violin, even though obviously he was much too small to do a real violin justice. But his parents bought him one. And yes, in fact, he did have lessons with Lewis Persinger throughout his young life. And he made this statement in his autobiography. He said, 
I knew instinctively that to play was to be. In other words, he found his identity in who he was. He knew that he had been formed and created and made to pick up a violin and to play it. Now, me being a musician by background, you can imagine, I'm going to give you some other examples of musicians. We could just as easily pick athletes or business people or, 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 or teachers or philosophers or the, theologians. But let me show, share a couple of names with you that you probably know. Artie Shaw was the famous clarinetist. Remember Artie Shaw? Played the clarinet and um, was famous in the big band era. Once he was interviewed, and he said, maybe twice in my life did I really play well. Did I really reach what I wanted to reach? He says, once they were playing these foolish things, and as they were playing it, there was this little arpeggio or this little uh, improv section, maybe five or six measures. And he said, and when I played it, in that moment I realized no one could have played those five measures better than me at that moment. And he said, maybe once or twice more in my life. He says, an artist should always be judged by his best, just like an athlete was. He says, pick out my one or two best things and say, that's what he did. Everything else was just rehearsal. But probably my favorite story from the musical world, especially from the jazz world, was John Coltrane. Train played the saxophone for Dizzy Gillespie and for other jazz bands. And in the 1950s, he almost died from a drug overdose in San Francisco. Once he recovered from that overdose, he never went back to drugs or alcohol again. And in time, he gave his life to Christ, was gloriously saved. And in celebration of his life in Christ, he wrote a book, I mean, wrote a piece of music called I love supreme, 32 minutes of nothing but musical praise and thanks to God. And one time in an especially moving performance of that 32-minute piece, he finished playing to a huge packed house, laid his saxophone down on the floor, walked off the stage, fell on his knees, and said two words in Latin, nunc dimittis. And if you don't know what nunc dimittis is, it is the first two words of the prayer of Simeon that if you pray your daily prayers, you pray every night before you get to bed. Lord, now let your servant die in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. To play was to be. All the rest was just rehearsal. Lord, dismiss me now in peace. There are times in our lives, oftentimes as children, when, to, to use a line from a famous book, where the door is open and we get a glimpse of our future, a glimpse of our lives and what it is that we are to be. And the thing I want us to think about today is this truth, which is that God normally calls us along the lines of our giftedness. But we have to remember, we have to understand that the purpose of the gifts that we have, the giftedness that we possess, is stewardship and service, not self. And so today I want us to look at how we 
take those two things and put them together because you see this looking at calling as a sense of who we are. This sense of, of calling and giftedness being tied together, giving us our identity is so contrary to what the world says. The world says you are what you do. So if you do the work of a doctor, you're a doctor. If you do the work of a lawyer, you're a lawyer. If you do the work of preaching, you're a pastor. You are what you do. But calling turns right, right around his head and says, no, do what you are. Find out, look into your own heart with the work of the Holy Spirit, with the guidance of Scripture, with, with faithful worship and listening. Determine who it is that you are and then let that become what you do. And so you see, this concept of vocation, this concept of calling, is so much more than what you do from 9 to 5 during the day. Let me just give you a quick example. Let's just say, for example, you're the kind of person that just loves, without even realizing you're doing it, to reach out to people when they are struggling and to give them a word of love and a word of encouragement. You're just a Barnabas. Just You ooze Barnabas out of your life. That is your calling and that is your giftedness. You're gifted to be able to perceive when people are struggling, when people are hurting, when people are in need. And you reach out to them with a word of love, a word of encouragement, a word of grace. See, when you recognize that, when you recognize the fact that you have been gifted with an innate ability to discern when people are struggling and a call from God to use that giftedness to be able to inject the gospel into people's lives, express God's love for them through your love, it doesn't matter what job you do. You could do that as a doctor, or you could do it as a truck driver, or you could do it as a school teacher, or you could do it as a janitor. Because wherever you work... Go ask Bob Pellman. Wherever you work, you find opportunities to stop a student in the hallway and say, hey, are you okay? And inject a little bit of that Barnabas calling into their lives. So you see, vocation is so much more than just the job that you do from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. It is who you are. Now, let me just be honest and admit to you that there has been a lot of effort in the last few years in the secular world to try to pick up on this idea. Don't just be defined by what you do. Be who you are. Do what you are. But there's a problem with that, or, or at least there are weaknesses in that. If you do it on the secular side, they often tend to see this kind of thing broadly in terms of personality types, whether it's the Myers-Briggs, whether it's the DISC survey, but they try to identify you, and that goes back to something we said a few weeks ago about how it tends to then pigeonhole you and define for you who you're supposed to be. Nothing wrong with knowing your personality type, nothing wrong with knowing, but you see, that is so nebulous, so generic. It's not unique like the call that God gives us, but sometimes we in the church tend to make a similar mistake. Because here in the church, we always talk about, oh, what's your spiritual gift? What are your spiritual gifts? Let's assess your spiritual gifts. If you join our church, part of what you do through your foundations process is you sit down and you work through your spiritual gifts. But if you've noticed, if you work with Jan Dudley and the meat team, you find out it's not just about your spiritual gifts. It's all those other things, those secular gifts that you have and all that. But what we tend to see happen in the church is we will spend time helping you determine those gifts so we know how to plug you in here. And we never talk about how you work through other hours, other than the three hours you're in this building or serving the Lord through this church. And you see what that is? Are you, are you, have, you, have you caught it up yet? That's the Catholic distortion. We lift your giftedness and say, oh, it's much more important what you do in church than what you do out in the world. And we split the two. So when you're here, you're exercising spiritual gifts and natural gifts and all this. When you got in the world, you just go work a job. 
But sometimes we in the church tend to do the other thing, and that is we help you determine all of these different things, but we never give you the opportunity to to, to really dig down deep into your heart, listen to what God is saying, and determine what it is that he's called you to do. And that's what the Protestant distortion is all about. We just turn calling, vocation, into the job that you do. And we don't try to help you inject into your day-to-day life the spiritual element of what you're doing. So here's the truth that I want you to think about. And I, I started this sentence from one writer. I read two or three others. I went to Scripture several times, and this is finally what, what I've come out with. So if it's convoluted, please forgive me. The truth is not that God is trying to find a place for you and your gifts. The truth is that God has created you and your gifts for a place that he is already choosing, that he has already chosen. And we will only truly be ourselves when we are finally in that place. And that place may be a job. That place may be a a career. That place may be in your role at home, family, neighborhood, whatever. But we get this idea that God gives us these gifts and these skills and this calling, and and then he tries to say, okay, now let's take all this together and see if I can find a place to put you, if I can find a hole where I can plug you in. No, 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 no. God already knows exactly where he wants you. Our goal, our aim, is to pursue that link between giftedness and calling. How do we see the gifts that God has given us and the calling that he places on. Now I'm thinking specifically about those secondary callings that he gives us and how those two things work together. So in order to do that, let's look at an example from the life of the Apostle Paul. Chuck read for us a few minutes ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There are a lot of things in this passage. I want to specifically focus, we'll talk about next week, about why we shouldn't do this too often, but every now and then it's okay. I want us to focus specifically on how Paul viewed his role as an apostle. He makes this wonderful claim. You go all back to verse 1. Paul has been claiming and talking about the right that those who serve the church have to receive their benefit, their livelihood from the church. He finally ends, gives the height of all examples in verse 14 when Chuck Reed says, In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So he begins by laying out this foundational truth. If a person is working for the Lord and serving you, they deserve to be taken care of by the ones whom they are serving. But then, in this typical Pauline, counterintuitive sort of way, he flips it on his head and says, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because he thinks he's better than everybody else? No. Why? Because he thinks that he's got a better way? No. Why? Because he thinks he can disobey God's command? He just said in verse 14? No. He said, I want you to understand the way I look at my life. Let me just read it. Follow along with me, and then we'll pause a couple of places. In verse 15, he says, I have used none of these rights, and I have not written this to make it happen that way for me. In other words, he's saying, I'm not writing this to guilt trip you. This is not some kind of a passive-aggressive sort of hint that you should pick up an offering for me. He also reminds them that this is a right, not necessarily a rule. He says, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. Now that word boast is a tough word for us because we think of boasting as in bragging. But if you remember, earlier in this letter, Paul said the one who boasts should boast in what? In the Lord. 
Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, he says, the boasting that I want to is not about myself. It's about my God, my relationship with him, and the role that I play not with you but with him and my understanding of who he is and what it is he has called me to do. He says, for if I preach the gospel, if I preach the gospel, let me put the emphasis where the emphasis belongs in the Greek. The first word in the Greek is I, and in the Greek language, the first word is always one that has the emphasis. As for me, if I were to preach the gospel, I would have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. In other words, if this is something that I chose to do, then I would expect a reward for doing it. But if I'm doing it unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a stewardship, it says in the Holman. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, let's stop right there and think about the word steward for just a minute. Get away from, you know, tithing and all that for just a minute. Let's talk about the underlying concept of stewardship. A steward was a servant of a master who was charged with responsibility to care for all of the master's possessions. The house steward, they were often called. They had full authority over all that the master had, but they were answerable to the master for how those things were being used. Ter- parable of the talents, good example. You know, where, what did you do with what I gave you while I was gone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Paul says, look, if I were coming to you on my own recognizance, I would have every right to say, can you help me out? He says, but I'm not here because I chose to be here. I'm here because my master sent me to you, and he's the one that pays me, not you. If I were to come to you and ask you to pay me after I've already been promised payment from my master, I'm a thief. Now, I don't want to read too much into the text, but he says, listen, if I do this unwilling, which doesn't mean he didn't want to do it, it meant he didn't choose to do it. It wasn't his choice. God was the one that chose. And he was excited that God had chosen him to do it. But he had to remind himself and the Corinthians that it was God that had chosen it, not him. So he says, okay, I mean, let me just try to give you a modern day example. Maybe I'm losing you. Let's say that I'm a sales rep for a company. And I come to you, you're my customer, and um, there's a bill, and I give you the bill, and the bill is for my company. And I said, but you know, if you want to, you can just pay me now, and, uh, and I'll take care of it for you. If you're smart business where you're going to go, no, I think I'll just send the check to the company, okay? Because you're going to wonder, why is he wanting me to give him the money? Or what if I said, you know, the boss said I could ask you for a 10% bonus if you'd like to throw in a little extra for the good job I did for you. Your response is, well, you know what, if you're going to get a bonus, you get a bonus from the boss, not from me. You see, the, you see the concept? This is what Paul is saying about stewardship. Paul says, look, I'm a servant of God, so even though I'm ministering to you, the person that's going to pay me is my boss, not you. And so for Paul, that was a very, very important concept. And as we look at this topic about how we look at our role of giftedness and calling and service and stewardship, we begin to think about what kind of rewards are we looking for for the ministry and the service that we do. You see, Paul goes on to say, what is my reward? This is in verse 18. What is my reward? to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my authority in the gospel. Although I am a free man, I'm not anyone's slave. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. So Paul goes on and says, okay, because I'm a servant of God and God has sent me to you, I become your servant too. I gotta be honest with you for just 20 seconds. I'm always honest, but personally honest with you for about 20 seconds. I love you dearly and I love serving you. And I understand that at one level, I am answerable to this congregation. We are good Baptists, and I'm answerable. But ultimately, I'm not answerable to you. 
If I have to make a choice whether I'm going to answer to God and answer to you, I'm going to choose God every time. And the consequences may be that you say, we need another pastor. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I pray it never happens. But I'm just, just trying to say, because it was easy on the mission field. I learned this on the mission field. We go to Africa. We're working with Tanzanian nationals, working with Tanzanian pastors. They'd say, Mchungaji, we would love to have XYZ, whatever XYZ may be. And I would say, you know what, that's great. But the people who pay me my salary have told me they want me to do ABC. And that was simple because Richmond said, this is what we want you to do. No matter what they tell you they want you to do, this is what we have sent you to do. Okay? And so in the same way, if I happen to be in a church which, thank goodness and thank the Lord I'm not, they've wanted me to tickle your ears and give you exciting things and get you on these political campaigns and doing all these kinds of things, and the Lord says, I didn't send you to do that. I sent you to open my word and declare it to my people. Then I, then I, I just can't do it. I can't. I can't. Go find somebody who can because I just can't. So in the same way, Paul says, look, I'm serving you, but I'm serving you because I serve him. This is Paul's picture of what it means to live with calling and giftedness and service and what direction we look in for our reward. So I want to stop for just a minute and pray with you, and then I want us to pull the, out of this how we can apply it into our world today, okay? Would you pray with me for just a second? Lord, we love you and we thank you for this example from Paul's life. It's a little hard when we first read it until we begin to dig into it and realize what he's really saying and this idea of his being your steward, holding things in trust, and then administering those things, being answerable to you for how he does it. So rather than claim anything from the Corinthians, he's claiming, if anything, from you, knowing that you will reward him fully for what he's done. Father, I just ask that as we think about our own lives and how we balance stewardship and service as we look at our calling and the giftedness that we've received from you, that we'll see in our own lives ways that we can do this exact thing. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. There are four distinctions that I want to draw between this idea of giftedness, which can become very self-serving and a little bit jealousy-inducing if we're not careful, and our sense of calling, which is what God gives us. By the way, are we all remembering where we got our gifts from to begin with? You know, remember why we call them gifts? Okay? No, it's only in the last few years that you buy yourself your gifts, okay? Usually gifts are given to you from someone else. And even in today's market, most of the time, even if you are given a gift card, it's still given by somebody so you can go and buy your own gift. But gifts are gifts because they don't generate from within you. They generate from outside of you. And there are four distinctions I want to make sure that we make when we talk about the idea of calling and giftedness and our stewardship for the Lord and for whatever it is he's got for us to do. Number one, the first distinction is between our individual calling and our corporate calling. In other words, there is this sense that each one of us has a unique calling from God in what he has us to do, okay? He has gifted us, he has shaped us, he has molded us to do a specific thing in the body. But there's also this idea of the corporate calling of all of us as the body of Christ, whether it's his local church family, whether it's the larger body of Christ, whether it's Christians in America or around the world, there is this corporate sense. And our selfishness wants to emphasize their individual calling. Well, yes, but you understand, I'm not called to that. I'm called to this over here. But you know what? We're also part of a body. And sometimes we have to realize the fact that that sense of corporate calling, the role that we play in this community as a church, as we look at ourselves and Concord and Hope and, and St. Paul and St. Peter and Paul and Emmanuel and Life Church and all the other churches in our neighborhood, what is the role that God has given? What is his call to us as a church family? 
And then our individual calls should blend in with that calling that we have as a family. And so as we see ourselves more as stewards and servants than as self-serving, we recognize that our individual call, while that's very important and we need to understand it as best we can with God's help, still should fit into the broader calling of us as a corporate body. The second one, there's often this emphasis or this distinction between later, more specialized callings and the original, ordinary calling that we had earlier in our Christian life. Personal example, people often will ask me, and I know I've told you this before, but people often ask me, how in the world were you able to surrender to the call to be a missionary and leave your family and go to Africa? I said, easiest thing in the world. The hard calling was when I fell on my knees at a little church with 30 people in attendance and said, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, I want you to do it and help Sharon to come along so that we can do it together as a husband. That was the hard calling. And once I yielded to that, it was just a matter of it being clarified as I went down the road. And so sometimes we'll get these special sort of insights. And I don't want to, well, no, I don't, I, yeah, I can, I can spiritualize it. I want to spiritualize it. Sorry about that. Um, Sometimes it really is kind of a spiritual thing. I mean, you'll just be out there mowing your lawn or, 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 or walking around Walmart, and, and you'll see someone, and the Lord just says, I want you, just like Philip and Ethiopian eunuch, I want you to go over to that person and say, are you okay? And you say, Lord, I don't even know that person. Just go, do it. Okay, very specific. Or maybe it's a particular role that God has for you to play in the life of the church, or the life of your family, or the life of the community. And you say, I feel like this is a very special thing. But please don't ever make that something that is separate from the original call, which is you must follow me. Let those unique special callings that come into your life be part and parcel of the larger calling that God has placed on you. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, believe me, there will come a time when you will. There'll be times when you will say, wow, this is a 100, no, 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 it's not a 180 return. It's a narrowing, it's an intensifying, it's a focusing, but it should all be built on the foundation of that original call that God gave you. Usually very, very ordinary, just follow me wherever I take you and I'll take care of you. You say, yes, Lord, whatever you say. And then he begins to clarify that as you go. Third thing, third distinction. Is a distinction between things that are central to our calling and things that are peripheral to our calling. All right? We have a tendency to want to focus on the things that we feel like are right at the very core of our calling. But we don't realize that part of our ability to do that is by emphasizing or reminding ourselves of all of those peripheral things that go around. This is where I'm going to give you the rest of the story about your job, okay? You may feel like that all your job is there for is so that you can work and make enough money to take care of your family so that you can do the thing that God has really called you to do. Maybe it's to be a deacon in this church or to be a Sunday school teacher or to be a, 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 a working at Life Tree or, or whatever. Maybe it's not even in the church. Maybe it's something in the community. But you see, if you're not careful, what will happen is you'll build this distortion again. And you'll elevate that core part and realize that all of these peripheral things are also part of your calling. The same God that called you to be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher is the God, is the God that called you to be a secretary. So you can't split those two things out. If you realize that what you've been given is a stewardship by God to use your gifts and talents and skills and abilities along with his calling on your life, you'll recognize that all of that life is important. 
How many of you know George, um, um, no, not George Foreman. Yeah, George Foreman. How many of you know, really, do you know George Foreman's whole story? Do you know that when he was a boxer, he also was what? He was a pastor. He said, boxing is just what I do to make money. My real job is preaching and being a pastor. He's been a born-again believer almost all of his life. And that's why I know he, some of his commercials seem kind of almost silly to you, but that's George Foreman's true personality, that just congenial you know, call my friends that had been help. You know, it's just, you know, it's just part of who the guy is. He's just that kind of guy. Not mean and hard and cold. And he said, he said, you know what? But he recognized the fact that that peripheral work of boxing was a way for him then to draw attention. So then when he shared the gospel with people, he would have an audience that would listen to what the Lord wanted to say through him. Lastly, the distinction between clarity in your calling and mystery. We have this obsession with wanting to be able to identify and pinpoint, God has called me to this thing right here, and this is what I've been called to do, and I can define for you the very day, moment, second, when I was given that calling, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And we forget the fact that we are looking at God and his will and plan for us like we're looking through a keyhole into Cardinal Stadium that huge ball field and all those seats, and we look. You ever drive by? I think you can still do this with a new park. The old park, I used to love it. You could drive by, and when they, they were working, you could see as you drove by, if, you, if you're like me and rubberneck anyway, and you look, and you could see through those little passageways down onto the field, and the lights were on and everything, you know. That's kind of the way it is with us looking at God's will for our lives. But we get this idea, boy, I got this thing all figured. I know exactly what God wants me to do. Listen to what Oswald Chambers, remember Oswald Chambers? He was from last week. Oswald Chambers said this. I'm going to get the whole quote. If you can tell where you got the call of God and all about it, I question whether you ever really had a call. The call of God does not come like that. It is much more supernatural. The realization of it in a person's life may come with a sudden thunderclap or with a gradual dawning, but in whatever way it comes, it comes with the undercurrent of the supernatural, something that cannot be put into words. The idea that God's calling on us while we may be able to define what it is right now in this instant, we must never forget that this is within the mystery of God and he is continuing to work in us and around us and through us. You remember William Wilberforce? We talked about him a couple of weeks ago, the, the guy that was fighting for slavery. You remember he knew from the time he was like 27 years old, this is what God wanted him to do. And he spent 50 years of his life on that one task. But that is more the exception that proves the rule than the rule itself. Most people are a lot more like Alexander Solzhenitsyn most of us remember him. We had to read at least part of the Gulag Archipelago, hopefully not all 820-something pages of it, but this man who was a champion of fighting against totalitarianism. And in his 50s, he knew with clarity what it was that God wanted him to do with the rest of his life, and that's why he did as much of the writings did in those last 20 years of his life. But earlier in his life, he had no idea. He had no idea what was going to happen to him next, how God was going to lead him, what God was going to do with him. Some of you will remember that he was brought to Christ through a Jewish convert, a doctor, that had become a Christian and shared with him while he was in the gulag about Christ and he became a follower of Christ. And then God began to clarify the call. And so there was this mystery about it. And what I like about Solzhenitsyn, and I don't want to throw too many names at you, but some of you have heard the name Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard was a theologian from the 19th century, but he made a, made a great line, and it's one of my absolute favorites. And it is that life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. You never really understand it until you can look over your shoulder. You remember those of you who've been through experiencing God? 
Remember how black talks about how you look over and look for those signposts, those mile markers in your life? You don't recognize them when you're going forward. But then you stop and you look over your shoulder and you say, now I understand how God shaped me and made me into the person that he wanted me to be. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you really, do you really want the best, the most wonderful gifts that God has given you to just decay while you spend them for your own self and your own glory? Is that really what you want? You want to take this treasure that God has given you and waste it, using it just for yourself? Or do you want to use those gifts to be set free so that you can come into your own and your gifts can come into their own as you link your ability, your talents, your gifts with your neighbor's need and God's glory and be a steward of all that God has given you. Taking your giftedness and God's call and linking them together in a life of service that will become clearer and clearer and clearer as you walk down the road with him. If that's what you want to do, then listen to Jesus of Nazareth and answer his call. Let's pray together. Father, I feel like I've finished every one of these sermons wondering if if I was able to do what you gave me to do. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit you have worked through my inability and spoken and touched people's hearts. There's still so many of us, Father, so many of us, that tend to separate off your calling to us and the natural abilities and talents and skills that you've given us. Not recognize the fact that you've linked those two things together and that you call us at our point of our giftedness because you're the one that gave us those gifts to begin with. And I pray that you will help us today to recognize the fact that while we may have a sense of clarity as to what you want us to do right now, we're still on the journey. While we may be tempted to use our gifts and our abilities to our own benefit, We need to recognize the fact that we have been given those to steward. They don't belong to us. And you have called us to use those gifts and abilities and talents for your glory, for our neighbor's good, and for our joy. And so we don't demand anything from those around us. We don't demand anything for the service that we give. We don't expect, like Paul, to get anything from those because you have already promised us a much, much greater reward. And so we live our lives as stewards and servants, first of you and then of those around us. Some of us, Father, don't live that kind of life right now. We split our lives up into our spiritual part and our secular part, our Christian part and our non-Christian part. And I pray that over these last six weeks we've begun to understand that we must integrate all of our lives in a response to that primary call, that primary call that you gave us, which is to follow you by following your son. So to that end, now we respond to what we've heard. In Jesus' name.